Welcome to Outspoken, a podcast for social change where we talk about current events and how they relate to interpersonal violence and abuse. Outspoken is a project of the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center located in San Marcos, Texas. If you or someone you know has experienced abuse and is seeking support, services, or needs more information, links to resources can be found in our episode description. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the views of their organizations or affiliates. All right. Well, welcome to our first episode of Outspoken. I'm Megan. I'm a prevention educator at Hayes Caldwell Women's Center, and I'll uh, let my co-hosts introduce themselves. I'm Vanessa. (laughs) I'm a prevention educator as well at Hayes Caldwell Women's Center. And my name is Kiara, and I'm the Prevention Coordinator at Hayes Caldwell Women's Center. So let's talk about a little bit about what prevention educators and coordinators do, I guess. Uh, not everyone listening knows that we even exist. Um, so I guess we should talk a little bit about what we do every day. Um, Kiara, since you have been here the longest, you want to give our listeners a little taste of uh, what the day in the life of a prevention educator is like? Yes. So we are doing prevention education in Texas. As you heard in the introduction, we're in San Marcos, Texas at the Hayes Caldwell Women's Center. We are serving Hayes and Caldwell County here in Texas. So the work that we're doing, we're doing it in schools, in a school setting, middle school and high school students usually. Some work at the university, at Texas State University. But we are facilitating conversations about healthy relationships, unhealthy relationships, abuse in relationships, what it looks like, what it feels like. We're talking about consent, boundaries, um, how they can support themselves, how they can support their friends who are maybe experiencing this in their relationships with the whole goal to prevent violence before it occurs. If we can give people information to try to set them up to have the healthiest relationships that they possibly can by giving them skills and opportunities to practice those skills and have conversations with their peers, then the overall goal and hope is for them to be able to create a community where violence and abuse doesn't exist. Yes, very well said. Um, So I guess let's try to uh, introduce ourselves a little bit more on a personal note. Um, If we want to let everyone know who we are. I'll, I'll start. Um, I'm a mom of three young boys. I love doing this work. I feel very drawn to education and especially um, prevention education and um, community health as was my background in school and public health. Um, so I feel very drawn to this work in that way. Um, my I like I play roller derby. Um, I like to skate in general with my family. I like to go outside of the river a lot. Yeah, that's, that's me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm Vanessa again. Um, A little bit about myself. Uh, I am very drawn as well to um, youth. I was a case uh, case manager um, prior to prevention education. So I have a strong um, foundation for social justice and serving our community and our youth. On a personal note, I am a mom as well. Um, I only have one, uh, and I like uh, I like exercising. I like working out. I like playing basketball. Um, I like reading, and now I like cooking. Um, so yeah, it's <laughs> a little bit about me. Does quarantine have anything else to, to do with that? Is it spending more time at home? I mean, as people as this episode is out, 
it's not lost on people that we're still in the middle of quarantine and that coronavirus is happening. And I know that people are picking up a number of different hobbies <laughs> or skills while they're at home. So I was just curious if cooking was one of the ones that you picked up. Yeah, I've, I've always liked cooking, um, but I was pretty just bland on like always kind of eating the same things um, for, a health, for a health perspective. But um, now that I've had more time, I don't rush. So I just kind of like put on some music and I'll cook and I can try and like still fail, but know I have time to do it. Um, and you know, yeah, it feels good. Yeah. It's not being a rush. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely been cooking more and listening <laughs> to uh, true, tr- true crime podcasts while I cook. I don't know why that's comforting in this, but it is. Yeah. What about you, Kiara? <laughs> so as you just said, I'm Kiara. Um, I'm a prevention coordinator. Um, my background is in sociology. I had a sociology degree from Texas State. My interest in sociology was, uh, but I had started school, was going into psychology And then my interest came from thinking about the impact of society on the individual versus like the individual in society, like it is in psychology, or at least that's the way that I always viewed it. Um, And in the classes that I started to take, I just realized that social change was something that I wanted to be a part of. And after I interned with HCWC, I got a job doing prevention education, having some of these conversations out in the community. So it's always been an interest of mine, or at least it has been since college when I started to learn more about it. On a personal level, I like crafting. Uh, I like cats. I like cats a lot. I'm like known as a cat lady wherever I go because I go (laughs) and I talk about them all the time. They just bring me a lot of joy. Uh, I also do roller derby. I don't play in the way that Megan does, but I do some officialing for roller derby. So having community with that is something that I've been really enjoying. And then with quarantine, it's mostly been watching a lot of Netflix and Hulu, trying to catch up on different TV mm-hmm. shows and things like that, which I guess is a good tie into like the purpose of the podcast is current events um, and things like that. Um, we're sp- spending more time at home is giving a lot of people more time to interact with media, consume more media, keep up with current events and things like that. Or maybe it feels like we have a responsibility to because there's a lot of social change happening um, in the current political climate, but also just like in our social climate. So it gives, I feel it gives everybody the opportunity to be exposed to more things. So that's part of why when we were thinking about wanting to start a podcast, we were thinking about the conversations that we usually have in our office when we're all together as we're recording this. We're not in our office right now. We're in our homes recording separately. But when we are together in our offices or in our shared office or when we're having meetings, we're talking about current events, things that we're seeing in the media, things that we're seeing in movies or TV shows, or maybe there's a song that just came out and everybody's talking about it or something like that. And a lot of our conversations have to do with our jobs, like what we do on a day-to-day basis. And usually we can find some sort of connection to interpersonal violence, uh, which is specifically in this context, dating and domestic violence, sexual assault and abuse, and child abuse. So we thought, why not take some of those conversations we're having and put them into like a podcast that we can share these conversations with other people in the community and people outside of our communities. 
Um, the name of the podcast is Outspoken, uh, and the name came from the idea of like when we look at headlines and usually we see some of these issues that are present, uh, they're not being discussed. Uh, you can see a headline, but you're not usually going to see, and this is the connection to domestic violence, or this is the connection to sexual assault or like con consent or boundaries and things like that. Mostly because A, people don't want to talk about it. It's an uncomfortable conversation or, or topic for a lot of different people. Abuse thrives in silence. Like if we talked about it more, then it'd be out in the open and more people would be able to get access to the resources they need, but also to address some of those root causes for what's creating environments where violence and abuse are supported in some way. And usually the people that do speak out about these things, they're viewed as outspoken, outspoken in like a negative sense of like you're speaking up and it's usually a conversation people don't want to hear. But sometimes outspoken can be a good thing too, um, that whenever you're speaking out against violence and abuse um, and you're trying to break some of that silence and secrecy that's around it, this is how we make change. This is how we break, I guess, the stigma around talking about violence and abuse. And if you can talk about it, the first step is if you can recognize that it's a problem in your community, then you can do something about it. You can't do something about something that you don't know about. So that's the whole idea around the name of the podcast is to be outspoken and to be outspoken and see it as a, a good thing to talk about things so then you can know what to do about it. Yeah, I would definitely say that the media consumption uh being in quarantine has been quite a bit of inspiration for this podcast and then me just missing terribly all the conversations that we do have in the office about these things like i feel like we're about to kind of expose the conversations that we do have in our office and because it is every day you know you see a headline or a new movie came out or a new song or you know whatever it is and and i find myself or i find the three of us you know talking in the office about um you know, whatever's trending that, that day or week. And, it, and we're all relating it back to, um, the, like abuse and unhealthy relationships and these different things. And, and it, it's not necessarily being talked about. And, uh, and also I, you know, we are all kind of outspoken in that sense that we talk about this stuff every day. And, uh, and I love podcasts. So this is definitely a little self-indulgent in this, in this sense, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's so important to have those conversations because if we aren't talking about it through that lens, then we are missing opportunities and messages that are happening every day that could be negative that are just we're not even seeing as a society and they're being lost in the mix. And that sends negative messages to um, people who might be in those relationships today, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically about as I mentioned in the introduction of the work that we do, it's primarily with middle school and high school students. And we know that typically they're not the audience for listening to podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. But they, as the internet continues to rise and like media consumption, I mean, like our ages were like in our late 20s, early 30s. Um, with the right, like what, as we were growing up, we got more and more like learning information from the internet like that's how most people learn and connect to their communities or like what's going on in the world is getting online or at least talking to other people about it so if we're seeing these things of course youth are because that's where a lot of their connections are happening is online and they are 
potentially losing out on having some of these conversations or in the work that we're doing, we're having these conversations with them. So it's something that's always on our mind where I think of when I first, before I started this job, I joke about how like sometimes I wish it can go back to the me before I started this job where I wasn't looking at the media and like seeing some of these messages or hearing some of these things in songs. And I say that in a joking way, because of course it's important for us to be able to hear these things because we know that it has an impact on people, whether they realize it or not. And my hope, at least for this podcast, is that we'll be able to sort of make people more sensitive to picking up some of these things that they maybe wouldn't realize can have an impact either locally or globally on the way that people think and believe and act. Because it's our everyday norms and our beliefs and our behaviors and things like that that can contribute to a society where violence and abuse are like supported or they thrive or maybe it creates an environment where people aren't going to talk about it but we don't realize that it can come from some of these places that we are interacting on a daily basis for the two of y'all megan and vanessa what are some of your hopes for the podcast I, I mean, I would say one of my hopes, I mean, you already said one of them, Kiara, I, but one of the hopes is to hopefully not only provide youth, but provide adults as well, like their own hope to find um, their space outside of darkness. So like outside of abuse or outside of the relationships that they're in, that they know that um, what they're experiencing is common humanity and that like, it's something that we've all um, seen and we've all heard and it's all became normalized. Um, but it's not okay and for them to know that that's not okay and that what what they're feeling and what they're experiencing is real um so hopefully to provide that advocacy for them yeah uh my hope is similar to what you said kiara just normalizing these Mm -hmm. conversations i'm a big believer in um that if we aren't noticing the because once you're in this work you see it all the time time. you can't turn it off like it uh, a lot of movies and people and music has been ruined for me because (laughs) I see it through the eyes of (laughs) someone who works in sexual violence. Right. Um, so, and I, so I guess my hope is just that to have more critical thinking Mm -hmm. when it comes to how the media or how, um, even news, like words, headlines that are that are around, you know, these issues. Um, because I feel like uh, we have a long way to go as far as like, victim blaming Mm -hmm. and how we see um you know things like underage women like just a headline that says under things like that like little um ways that we every day are being faced with the fact that we have a long way to go in ending sexual Mm -hmm. violence because through victim blaming through um lack of understanding what consent is still um and then just seeing unhealthy relationships constantly um um, so I guess it's just I ha- my hope is just for people to see these things a little bit more critically, see them maybe through a prevention ears yeah. eyes and how um, these things do affect us every day and how when by changing the language and by speaking out against it, um, that provides support like that not only changes the culture, but it also provides, um, you know, support for people who are experiencing these things and validates the feelings that this is not normal and validates the fact that this is not OK, that this happens to people. Yeah. Providing this educational platform is like what we hope to have, right? Like just having, like for them being able to have access to this, even though they might not be a youth or in the schools that we serve, they have like this platform to listen to. 
Yeah, totally. Even what you were saying, Megan, where you said, like, sometimes people will have in headlines, like, underage women. Mm -hmm. Like, by definition, that's a girl. Usually (laughs) an adolescent girl or a teenage girl. But the way that it's framed in the media is that the perspective is that women who are adults have more agency over their lives and their bodies and their decisions. And then whenever we call young girls, adolescent girls, underaged women, then it can put some of that responsibility back on them, right? That Mm -hmm. creates an environment that blames them for something. And maybe they are making decisions where they're choosing for themselves, but it also doesn't change the fact that somebody who's older than them, who has more influence or more power is exploiting them in some way. Exactly. And then also we, our language tends to shift responsibility from the perpetrator. So like you'll see, um, they were in an, a, they had a, um, non-consensual relationship or like a non-consensual sexual relationship. Well, that's rape. I mean, the, yeah. so you're, you're in that language is in, in my opinion, you're shifting blame away from the person who should Committed the crime. The person who perp- committed the crime. Yes. I'm like, yeah. thank you. I'm trying to be delicate about it, but I don't need to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, which then makes me think of some of the other hopes that we have for the podcast that we'll have like different segments for the podcast, one of them being a prevention and action tip on how to take some of the things that we're talking about, like a subject or a topic or whatever we're looking into that's currently happening and what you can do about it, because there's something that everybody can do about it. And it's also like uplifting. Um, We don't want to sort of talk about things that are happening and sometimes it can feel hopeless. That could be another reason why people don't really want to interact with like learning about different forms of abuse. It can feel like well, there's nothing I can do about that or there's nothing that I can do to prevent that that has nothing to do with me. But by talking about how we either intentionally or unintentionally create an environment where these things are supported through norms or beliefs or behaviors or by taking action or by not taking action, that's how it has something to do with you. So there's something that we can always do Um, And it can be a good thing. There's definitely like hopeful things. um, And there are norms and actions and beliefs that can contribute to an environment where abuse and violence isn't tolerated. Those things do exist out in the world too. So we are going to talk about those on the podcast because it's not just going to be like, here's the world and this is how the world is terrible. Um, These are also really good things that are happening in the world. Um, And we need to be able to look at both of them Um, Right? Because we don't just like exist in like this one thing where we don't exist in the world where things are either really good or either really bad. That we exist in a world where many things can be true at the same time. So we're going to have conversations about it. And I love the goal of having an action, like an action item that we can do every week because it is. And you can, and I can see people feeling like this is hopeless, but it's like, we wouldn't be in this work if this was hopeless, right? Like we, there are things that we can do and there are things that we do every day to try to prevent this from happening and lessen this from happening. So that is a important goal that we've put forth in this podcast as well, is that we are going to try to have some kind of action tip that we can leave you with every time um, so that you do, there is something you can do and, and everyone can make a difference somehow. And one of the other things that we'll leave you with um, is self-compassion, like a self-compassion tip for every single episode. 
It's a part of our agency's mission, our organization's mission, uh, Hayes Caldwell Women's Center, is to talk about self-compassion, um, where we'll do a little bit more of an introduction, but the whole idea is to treat yourself with the same compassion that you would somebody that you care about. Um, and that's part of our agency's mission, the idea being that if you can treat yourself with more compassion, you are more likely to treat other people with compassion as well. So with that, we'll take a break, We'll come back after our self-compassion tip, and then we'll start to talk about what some of these current events are that we're seeing in the media. In the first half of each episode, we will be sharing a self-compassion tip, because not only do we all deserve to have healthy relationships with others, but we deserve to have a healthy relationship with ourselves too. And self-compassion can be a part of that. Our tip for this episode is for those times when you're struggling to find the kind words to say to yourself, either when you mess up or things don't turn out the way that you hoped, which is a feeling I think most people can relate to. Usually, we end up saying mean things to ourselves, either as motivation or punishment, and no one deserves that, including you. Think of what you would say to someone that you care about instead. Maybe it's a family member or friend or even your pet. Say those things to yourself because you deserve to hear them too. Say it out loud or write it down whatever helps. If you're interested in learning more about self-compassion, go to self-compassion.org. Let's get back to the episode. All right, welcome back. Like, let's try to get into it. Um, so I'm in the world of education in Texas. There's a lot going on right now when it comes to our health education standards, PE standards, science standards, all these things are potentially being changed in the next month. Um, so how does this concern us as prevention educators? Well, we are interested in these health education standards changing. Um, this is uh, something that is going to affect uh, whether or not you know consent is discussed in the classroom, whether or not healthy relationships get discussed in the classroom. Um, so what this is, is basically um, Texas education um, has what's called TEKS. They're Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. And they determine what is taught in every grade level, kindergarten through 12, um, for every subject. So there's science, there's math. Every subject has these. So basically, um, coming up uh, over the last few months, there's been some talk about changing some of these health teaks to include things like LGBTQ uh, relationship information, just general respect and understanding of different sexual orientations. There's uh, understanding of healthy relationships, like what that looks like. So basically working on skills like communication and consent and boundaries and things that help make a relationship healthier. And then also comprehensive sex education um, was also on the list of things that they are trying to get change in Texas right now. So why is this a big deal? Why is this in the news? Because it's because this hasn't been changed since 2007. Hi, listeners. Quick correction. They have not been changed since 1997. So <laughs> it's that's like over 22, 23 years um, that we've had the same standards. And a lot of people don't even realize that Texas is still considered an abstinence-only state. And there's also still, uh, there's not really a law that says that Texas has to teach any sort of sex education, from my understanding, um, in school. So even though it is abstinence only, you don't even have to teach that at all. So it, it can be, Texas isn't required 
or Texas schools aren't required to teach it. It's from my understanding, um, which is which is I have opinions about it, you know, and, and a lot of people honestly uh, uh, want when they when they've done research and surveys and stuff, a lot of the vast majority of people say that they support having consent and boundaries and healthy relationships and uh, comprehensive sex education in schools. So it's it's a little mind boggling that there's such a majority wanting these things. Um, yet it seems to be a major fight in Texas to get this information in schools. So we're going to talk about it from our perspective, what it means to us, because this affects our jobs tremendously. Because as we said in the beginning of this episode, we teach consent and healthy relationships and boundaries and empathy and respect and all of these things. So it uh, definitely affects what we do for our job. So we do care about this a lot. And when we ask students, when we have conversations with them, we ask them, is, are there, is there anybody else who's having this conversation with you? Um, or we'll ask them, if you could add anything to what you're learning in school, what do you want to learn? Uh, and we get answers like, I wish that this was a class in school. I wish that I could take a class that was about healthy relationships that could could teach me about consent and boundaries or how to support my friends. We need this information. It's an important life skill that doesn't get discussed enough. And they learn other really important information in health, right? Like they learn things about nutrition and other things that help them be healthy individuals in their communities and in their own lives to take control over their own health. But a big part of like can taking control over your own health is the health of your relationships um, and the health of the interactions that you have with other people. And when you're in an age where middle school and high school, the relationships that you have with your peers, like you're moving away from your parents and like the teachers being the center of your world and like the impact and the influence of your peers is what starts to matter the most to you. And you're starting to go through puberty and potentially have interest in developing relationships, whether sexual or not sexual with other people. Um, And you should be able to be empowered to have skills to have the healthiest relationships that you possibly can. And why not do that in a school setting? School empowers them to have knowledge in a lot of areas of their life. It helps you with learning math. So when you are growing as an adult, you learn how to do things like add and multiply and subtract and divide, but also how to do taxes and how to calculate the tip that you're going to leave the server in the restaurant. But it's also going to teach you things like science. Like you need to be able to know all of these things. And these things are incredibly important. We should be learning these things in a school setting. But why not also add some of these things so then they can have conversations with their peers and so they can ask questions about these things. It can be kind of scary where parents and guardians have to have these conversations, which is great. We want parents and guardians to have these conversations with the young people in their life. But we know that sometimes they're not going to always have the answers, usually because other people didn't have conversations with them about it. Maybe they didn't have like the healthiest, healthy relationship role models when they were growing up. It can be kind of challenging to have answers to all of these questions, but it's even... (laughs) Where was I? Oh, it's better when you have people around you to support you in having these conversations or getting this information. Like there's the whole, 
I guess like adage, like it takes a village. Um, the more people that you have around you supporting you with getting information, the better. And I know that that can be tricky for some people because we know that people have different values or they have different beliefs. They want their children um, to have certain information that follows their own values and beliefs. And that can be kind of a tricky situation when you're setting that standard for the entire state. But we believe, at least in our belief, that a standard should be it's important for youth to learn about healthy and unhealthy relationships. And we know that the state has made some of these decisions before, at least in like on the political side of things with passing like house bills, for example, House Bill 121 mandates that schools talk about and have information about dating violence in schools because we know that it's important and we know that youth need to learn it. And if they're going to learn about unhealthy and abusive relationships, the kind of relationships we don't want them to have, it's also important to tell them what kind of relationships we do want them to have. And such a good point you made, like we learn math and we learn, you know, writing and science and all these are important, but it's like, we are social creatures. We are 90% of people are going to be you know, 99% of people are, you're going to have relationships in your life, whether they're romantic, whether they're platonic, there's so many different types of relationships, like your work relationships, all these relationships. Why not make them better? Why not like teach the skills to make relationships better? So many people struggle with their relationships. They struggle with feeling alone. They struggle with, you know, communicating their needs to people. Um, so it's, it's clear to me that so many people aren't learning these things at all or at home, you know, not everyone has healthy role models to look at at home and not everyone has the answers to these things. Right. Um, I don't even think the words, you know, consent and some of the words that we use daily now were even really around or thought of 20 or 30 years ago. Right. So, um, yeah, to me, it's it, it, when you said, you know, we learn math and science, it, it, it hits the nail on the head. Like we, we're social creatures. Why not learn why why not learn how to have healthy relationships with each other because that's going to benefit us in all that we do um you can be amazing at math but if you can't talk to people and know how to have good relationships with people you know that's a big loss in your in your uh quality of life right and most people they want to have healthy interactions with other people nobody wants to experience hurt in their relationships and they don't want to make other people experience hurt in their relationships and one of the best ways that we can prevent that before it happens is to empower people to have that information of like this is how you recognize that maybe somebody's not okay maybe they're not consenting to this maybe they don't want this hug um maybe they're not okay with this action that you're doing or this thing that you're saying. How do you recognize that? What does that look like? How do you communicate your boundaries to other people so they can know that and make sure that they're not crossing your boundaries? Uh, how do you know how you want to treat somebody in a relationship? How do you know how you want to be treated? Um, and then in connection to like LGBTQ relationships, I know mm -hmm. that for some people that can be a pretty controversial topic. It's not something that everybody wants to have discussions in a school setting about. Uh, at least on the small end of the percentage, over 10% of youth identify as LGBTQ. And that number continues to rise, not to say that more youth are becoming LGBTQ. It just means that 
um, as things change and evolve in like our communities and in our society, more people feel more comfortable identifying with who they are and letting the world know about that. And that's a great thing. We want people to be celebrated for who they are. We want them to have healthy relationships in the context of their own relationship structures and what that looks like. And if they can get information on how to do that in a school setting while their peers are also learning what a healthy relationship looks like, that only benefits more people in our community, that only gets us closer to having a community without violence and abuse if we can set people up with the skills and the knowledge to not have to not perpetrate violence and abuse against other people, or at least to recognize when it's happening to them. I just feel like in a world where communication is at our fingertips, like just easily accessible, we just can't communicate. It's like even worse now. (laughs) Um, You know, just if we could spend more time on our emotional and mental health, just as we do our physical health in the schools, um, you know, where would we be at right now? Yeah, for sure. Into what you said to LGBTQ youth, just norm. I mean, they they exist. You know, yeah. they're here. We're here uh, normalizing that because when we look at like statistics of like, uh, you know, who's being bullied in schools mm-hmm. or like who, you know, and who's also experiencing relationship violence. Um, you know, we like to talk a lot about this binary, you know, boy, you know, boy girl relationship. But the truth is, is abuse and violence exists in all relationships. And so yeah. to it's it's denying in my view it's denying a whole group of people the uh education of like what a healthy relationship is for them by like basically denying that they exist by not putting them in the curriculum and that's harm that to me that causes more harm and uh and then especially the fact that there's you know we look at statistics of bullying and see that lgbtq youth are being bullied at much higher rates so why wouldn't we want that in the curriculum to normalize uh, their experiences and to teach respect and empathy and to just, un- you know, just general understanding. Like when we cut people out of the conversation, then it makes it okay to bully these people. It makes it okay. It's like they it denormalizes yeah. the, the situation that shouldn't be. Yeah. It goes yeah. back to the whole idea of abuse thrives in silence, right? And when you can't be open about who you are, then it's even harder to say, I'm in this relationship and what's happening to me is not okay. It's unhealthy Mm -hmm. and it's abusive Mm -hmm. and I need your help. But to be able to take that step, you also need to be able to take the step of saying like, this is who I'm in a relationship with. And if you can't Mm -hmm. say who you're in a relationship with, then it's even harder for you to get some support whenever that relationship is unhealthy. And it's the same for a lot of different youth, right? Like talking in general about relationships and consent and boundary even for adults but even especially for youth it's uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. it can be uncomfortable because it's not a conversation that is a common conversation we know that they're talking about it but usually with each other and i think about when i was like a young person when i was in middle school when i was in high school i was not getting great information from my peers about the way relationships would be or i'm seeing Mm -hmm. my friends Mm -hmm. have relationships and they weren't the healthiest relationships But I was thinking, well, this is what I need to do. This is how relationships go, or at least this is something that's normal. But if we can have like a conversation with them of like, hey, this doesn't have to be normal um, or it's common, but it doesn't mean that this is how relationships should be. Then it gives them the opportunity to question it when they see it happening or at least tell their friends like, 
hey, I don't think what's happening to you is okay. And I think you deserve better than that. Or say, I don't like the way you're treating your partner. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe, like, can we have a conversation about why you're treating them this way? Is there any help or support that you may need? Because sometimes people who are committing violence in relationships are just mirroring what they see in their life. Mm-hmm. And they don't always know that it's unhealthy or it's abusive. You can get into some of that gray area where they can know that hitting your partner and other forms of physical abuse are not okay, but they may not know that I feel jealous. So it's not okay for me to tell my partner, you. I don't want you hanging out with other people who are the same gender as me because it doesn't make me feel good. But if their peers are doing that and it works for them and they see like, you stopped when I told you to stop hanging out with this person and then I felt better then that's good right like that's us communicating about it but they don't always know that that could be a form and it is a form of unhealthy communication yeah absolutely because if no one if you're not having these conversations if no one's teaching it then what do you have to go on except for like what you see at home what you see in movies what you see your friends do and a lot of the times that's not always healthy. It's not always, you know, we don't, it's not always going to be like the best uh, model for your relationship is by looking towards those things all, you know, yeah, in all situations. Kind of like what you said, Kiara, like the imbalance of power and control where like, you know, the information they're getting is it's okay to tell them to do something, but then you have to do something in return. Um, so kind of like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to tell somebody to replace a negative, to stop a negative mm-hmm. behavior. You need something to replace it with. Otherwise, they're yeah. like, well, this is the tool I have to solve this issue that's mm-hmm. happening in my life. And until you tell me what I can do otherwise, I'm going to keep doing this because mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to replace it with. Yeah. I'm curious on, for the two of you, what your experiences were growing up as adolescents I believe both of you were here in Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. What your experience was like, either in health or just learning about like relationships and things like that in a school setting. Um, What did that look like for y'all? I mean, I feel like for me, since I'm like in a rural community where it's a small town, um, it's just not talked about. Um, I remember having that in college but I don't remember having that in high school um, at any point Um, so I think my experience is just there is no experience Um, there is no information my information was from either a parent or guardian or just trial and error yeah um, so I grew up in like the suburbs of Houston Texas and my experience was probably similar to a lot of people's Texas health class experiences. I had a coach teaching my health class. Um, I remember spending a lot of time on the exercise unit and on, you know, that kind of stuff. But I have very little memory at all, honestly, over uh, learning anything about healthy relationships, sex. Um, I think I, I think during that chapter or during that unit, I have some vague memory of just like copying definitions out of a textbook. But there was no like conversation. There was no um, opportunity to ask questions. I think it, it, in from what I've my experience or like what I saw in school, it, whether you how your health education falls kind of comes down to the comfort of the teacher mm-hmm. and how comfortable that teacher is discussing sex with thirteen and fourteen year old girls and boys. Yeah. 
in <laughs> in my experience in school, they were not comfortable um, talking about those things. So they just didn't. Mm -hmm. Granted, that was a long time ago, <laughs> but definitely felt I felt like I got a, like I didn't get any. I felt everything I learned, I had to learn on my own. I also did not have. Um, my parents, you know, didn't have a lot of the information either. Yeah. They grew up, they were pretty um, sheltered in their, what they learned about health and, and sex education as well. So I had, everything I learned, I had to learn through college or on my own, uh, which is not the easiest or healthiest way to learn when it comes to relationships because it's a lot of trial and error, like Vanessa said, yeah. and that's scary. Um, they're yeah. leaving it in like our hands like well you're kind of on your own and you're 13 14 years old just figuring it out yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah my experience was very similar to i guess like a combination of both of you i grew up in a military family so i moved a lot especially around uh right when i got into high school and my freshman year of high school was spent in mississippi on the gulf coast in mississippi and that was the only year out of my four years when I was in school that I took health. And we learned about a number of different things. We learned about steroid use. Uh, we learned about uh, nutrition in terms of like food and things like that. Uh, we learned about like STDs and STIs. Uh, but when it came to other forms of like the sex ed part of the book, the teacher said, it's in there and it's on these pages and you can read it on your own and now we're going to move on from it and she looked uncomfortable as she was saying it which goes back to what you were saying Megan that it goes back to in some ways some people the teacher's comfort level with talking about it especially if this isn't what they signed up for they were told this is something you need to include in your curriculum or maybe they have some other passion um, like if it's a coach they have the background probably to talk about a number of different health-related things based off the degrees they may or may not have gotten in college, depending on if they went to college um, to get like their degree to do this. Usually, I believe that you have to in yeah. order to teach in the state of Texas. Yeah. So they have this background, um, but usually it's not like, I became a coach because I want to teach sex ed here in the state <laughs> of Texas right? It's usually yeah. something else. And it's not lost on me that having these conversations is uncomfortable for a lot of people, um, either because in general it's uncomfortable or because we don't talk about it. And that was sort of my information. So information I learned was from the internet, because that's where a lot of people learn or the internet. Um, I am 30. So my peak high school me was on MySpace. Um, so I was really on the internet a lot. It was like the rise of social media. And that's when you're starting to connect to other people and get more information on the internet. Um, but it wasn't really a lot. I didn't really learn anything until I got to college and it was like my RAs doing programs in the dorm or somebody else from like student activities putting on a program that I would have to choose to go to on my own to learn information and then to add the added layer of me being a person in the lgbtq community i wasn't learning any information about like my own relationships i wasn't learning information that reflected the the relationships that i was in i was just sort of taking the information i had that was limited and then trying my best to apply it to my own personal relationship dynamic and it was tough
it's kind of a scary thought too, like what you said um, about how if you take think of two on two different aspects. One, students really want to talk about this stuff. They really mm-hmm. want someone to talk to them about healthy relationships. And then the thing that just clicked for me, what you said, is how you found this information on the internet. So that the internet's awesome, right? <laughs> There's a lot of information you can find on the internet, and I love the internet. Like I love going on, you know, research benches on the internet. But that can be also really scary because there's a lot out there on the internet. So there's a lot you could see potentially that shows relationships in one way that aren't, that aren't, I mean, a lot of times when you see, for instance, like sexual relationships, consent is not in the discussion, right? Um, So that can definitely, if we have this, these youth who are, you know, desiring this information, they're and they're not, if they're not going to get it at home, if they're not going to get it in school, they're going to find it probably on the internet and that could be anything because mm-hmm. we know as, as amazing as the internet can be it can also be full of all kinds of misinformation um and then especially when it comes to like sexual relationships and relationships in general there's so much that's not being said in media that we just take for granted like conversation like about consent or um or just normalizing unhealthy behaviors like stalking and, th- and things like that that we'll see on shows um so yeah, that's a scary thought. I just when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's probably not where we want people to get that information, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's not to say that every youth is going to go into their health class and then their health teacher is going to give them this information and then all their hands shoot up and they want to ask as many questions as they possibly can. We know that it's for some youth, it's still going to be kind of a very awkward situation, but at least they get to have some of that information so then they can choose what they do with it. Like, I don't use a lot, of, like, I don't use geometry in my life on a daily basis, but if I had a need for it, like, I can think back and, like, apply it um, versus, like, relationships. My relationships are going on around me constantly as a human being. So if I get that information, then I can apply it in that setting as I learned it today and then put it in my relationships versus, like, if I have geometry, then I get older. And maybe I'm an adult who has a job that involves geometry, or maybe I don't. Um, But I do have relationships that are happening right now as a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 17-year-old, where I can apply this information today. All right. So I do want to recognize, you know, this isn't necessarily easy conversations to have. I I, I want to, I know that um, we do this like every day. We kind of, you know, we're talking about these kind of things like on in ho- at home, at work, in our office. Um, so I do want to recognize that it it's understandable that people would be uncomfortable, especially if you know you are you are going in as a science teacher or as a coach, and then you're kind of throwing this curriculum at you. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I guess we should just maybe talk a little bit about how we do this, like how how we are able to have these conversations because I I will tell you in my experience um the the youth that I work with really like talking about this stuff um and I think that the setting has a lot to do with it um we we tend to get our own room where it's just a a a small group of us um but it's also a lot of um relationship building that goes on before these conversations can even start um and a lot of um building that kind of little community in our in our group um before these conversations get real deep, before they can start. Um, but they, 
I feel like the conversations never lack. There's, there's so much to talk about, so many questions um, that it's very rewarding, I feel like, on both sides. Like, I feel like I get just as much out of the conversation as they do sometimes, honestly. Like, what are y'all's experiences like with this? I feel like mine are... I, I do have small groups, but I also have a bigger setting. So kind of similar to what Megan was saying, um, it's a lot of communication building, um, even social-emotional learning, like learning where they're at for the day. Um, not just, you know, relationships like we've been talking about, partner relationships, but building those relationships with the people around them, like their own community in their own classroom or mm-hmm. um, building that trust with each other. And yeah, they're never ending. I feel like time goes by so fast that, you know, we may go in thinking we're going to do this one thing and then it lasts like two or three sessions later um, because there are so many questions that haven't been asked and um, we want them to get the best out of our time with them. Yeah. Yeah. And my experience has been very similar, if not the same as both the two of you, your experience with talking to youth, just building that relationship with them so then we can have these conversations. But also we go into schools and we do this in like a presentation setting too, Mm -hmm. uh, when Mm -hmm. we don't have that opportunity to build rapport with youth. And we have the added benefit of being an outside person that they're just getting to know and you sort Mm -hmm. of get to start that with relationship with I'm here to share information with you so you can have a healthier relationship or you can Mm -hmm. figure out how to get help so there is that added benefit but if it's built into the school setting I would imagine that hopefully it could be kind of similar you can start it off of we're here to share information and give you information and sometimes I do have conversations in groups that are a little bit awkward yeah, <laughs> uh, admittedly, right? For sure. Of, For sure. I'm here to talk to you about consent and I'm here to talk to you about boundaries or I'm going to ask you questions about that. And sometimes it's blank stares, twiddling thumbs, uh, not wanting to be the first person to interact with the adult in the room who's saying, hey, what are your relationships like? Uh, how do you define consent? Um, how do you recognize when your boundaries are being crossed? Um, and sometimes it's like shifting eyes of like, are you going to be the first person to say something? Um, but when you have somebody who does speak up, like the first person to say something, then it sort of is a snowball effect where it'll continue to go. Or I'll share a little bit of like when I was young, people didn't have conversations with me about this and it was really awkward and we did have this conversation is anybody else feeling awkward in having this conversation and sort of that can help break the ice a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's just name it. Yeah. That's like the best thing to do. It's just name the feeling because that's what brings everyone to like, this is true. This person's genuine or like, this is real. Yeah. Cause you know, just lean into those feelings cause everyone or not. I mean, a lot of people probably feel the same way yeah. and you name it. And like when yeah. a, an adult comes into the room, they're like, no, but once they see that you're listening and you're, empathetic and you care about what they have to say or what they have to ask they're like a whole new person right and giving them the space to ask some of those questions or share something that they feel that maybe we don't agree with Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we know that sometimes we're going to hear things that are maybe like shocking or maybe like no that's not accurate information Um, and your reaction to it really does make a big difference that like, oh, I said this and this person didn't 
freak out or maybe they asked me where I learned that from or maybe they said actually here is other information that's based in facts so then then they can change their mind so that was another thing that I've also learned is your reaction makes a huge difference especially Mm -hmm. when you take the perspective of I'm here to share information with you instead of like I'm here to like download information into your brain and then I need Mm -hmm. you to like remember that and never make a mistake because we know that like Mm -hmm. being a human being is a part like we make mistakes as human beings and sometimes we want to do the best in our relationships and we can go through like the healthy relationships curriculum and still not have the healthiest of relationships but we have the skills to reach back into our pockets with to sort of pull back and hey there was this person who came into my class or my health teacher mentioned this this is that thing so then they can refer back to it yeah, and that is a good point. They do do presentations sometimes in schools, too, that is a large group. Um, and it's different because you don't have the time necessarily to build the relationship. But that's when having that's what makes these standard health education or these health education standards so important because it it creates a, a universal uh, expectation in all schools. So for what for one you know if it, we go into a school and we're talking about healthy relations and this has happened before uh you know we're talking about healthy relationships or empathy or bullying or you know all these different things um but then this the the school uh the students in the school have experiences that contradict what we're teaching them and it's and it's all under you know the the watch of the school um or the school doesn't have a strong like bullying uh policy for instance or when schools or when students have experienced um you know violence or stalking or whatever the school's response hasn't been great um so that's why uh you know these standards are so important because this it creates this the same curriculum or the same standard of curriculum for all students in texas um so you know we go because we you know we get the the ability to go to a bunch of different schools and a bunch of different school districts in our central texas location um and it's very different each school you go to is very different and is and, and these policies as far as you know some schools want they have healthy relationships and uh consent and things like that in their plan and that they want to teach their students and some schools don't and that's why um you know, having these standards, these state standards are so important because it shouldn't be that different. Like your address shouldn't depend on whether or not you're going to learn how to have a healthy relationship. Your address shouldn't depend on, you know, whether or not if you're an LGBTQ student and you live at this address versus this address depends on what your experience in high school is going to be like because of like what's in place at that school and what you're going to learn about. Um, And so that's why that I mean, that's why we, we brought this topic up today <laughs> is because just having that standard for the for everyone in our state and for everyone that um, your, your neighbors, because, um, you know, you can have all these things where you live and go somewhere else. And someone who hasn't had these things can affect you. Um, and, and, if, and that will affect your your community. That will affect your environment. Um, and it and it could literally just be down the street. We're talking about in some of these school districts, you know, they're that different from each other. And everyone deserves healthy relationships. All Texans deserve healthy relationships. (laughs) Right. And this is how it's part of the approach, part of like the approach that we work off of. But like research and theory has shown that like this is how you can create long lasting change that like 
if you have attitudes and beliefs and behaviors that support healthy relationships and then you go out into your community and other people are supporting that and then you're learning that in school that's how you learn that this is a norm this is how we want to treat people this is something that we should expect because you're hearing it everywhere so we want everybody to hear in as many places as they possibly can like megan said that all people all texans we all deserve healthy relationships and this is how we can practice it Mm -hmm. so we gave a lot of information um so before we wrap up though we want to leave our listeners with a prevention in action tip um something that y'all can walk away with y'all can um you know take the information hopefully you learned something in today's episode and you want the next step so we are here to give you the next step (laughs) hopefully um so for our prevention and action and tip for the day is um is to contact your local representative your state board of education representative um they are having a meeting in november where all these changes are going to be either made or not made. Um, The final decisions will be happening in November. So we have a month or, um, you know, a few couple of weeks actually to reach out and to find out who your state board of education representative is. You can find that out at wrm.capital.texas.gov slash home or just google it that's what i did i googled who's my state representative (laughs) we'll also drop that we'll put the link in the episode description so then you can find it there too absolutely and then on a on a local level though um you know join your shack join your school health advisory council get involved in what's happening in your local school district because you know as this is a state standard each school district is also on you know responsible for creating their own set of what they want in their in their district so you can still make change there so find out what your school is teaching and just get more involved if this is um you know something that you're motivated by all right or if you are by any chance somebody who is of an age where you can't vote or maybe you um i mean you can i believe at any age can contact your board of education representative but if you're not old enough to vote or you're not old enough to join your district's school health advisory council go to those meetings or send them an email let them know how you feel about it like they are there to represent you and they're making decisions that impact you and they impact your friends they impact your families and your communities and they're there to receive that information so they can make decisions that are the best for everybody and they won't know what decisions to make that you feel good about unless you know that, unless you let them know that these are the decisions you want them to make. You gotta be outspoken about these decisions that we want. (laughs) (laughs) What a great segue to wrapping up the podcast. (laughs) So um, we hope you enjoyed our first episode. Um, We will be doing this every month. Um, Next time we'll be discussing whatever current event or trend that we see, maybe it's something that we don't even know yet. So uh, we will see you next month to kind of talk about what's happening in a, with a prevention hat on. In the so mean- in the meantime, oh, go <laughs> <Yeah>. ahead. <laughs> no, like- we'll in the meantime, out. stay safe and be outspoken. Yeah. Yay. <laughs>